Hey guys, welcome back to the Capital Games Podcast. Uh, you have your hosts Sam Johnson and Tyler Sells here. Uh, before we get into the podcast, just wanted to apologize for not putting any content out the last couple of weeks. Um, Big Tyler got engaged um, and uh, both of us were sick. So apologies on that. Um, quick disclosures before we get into the material for today. Um, the opinions that me and Tyler express on the podcast are not the official opinions of the companies we work for. None of the, none of the uh, material we go over is um, non-public material information. It's all public. Um, and uh, I think that, oh, also not investment advice. Um, so that about uh, wraps up that part. Tyler, do you want to introduce the first topic that we have for today? Yeah, let's jump right into it. Sorry again, guys, for being a little AFK on content. We'll um, keep it going. And I think we're going to slowly start working on building some other mediums, like some web uh, video content, other platforms. So big things coming for uh, Capital Games right here down the road. But um, today we've got two big things to talk about. You know, in the past, we've kind of had some smaller stories, but two pretty decent stories this week. First of all, um, CPI inflation data that came out and pending recession. Um, more on recession indicators, including probably interest rates moving up. And then the second thing being uh, Figma, which uh, is was announced trying to sell to Adobe. We'll see if it all goes through. But um, if it does go through, it will, I think will be one of the largest uh, private purchases um, mm -hmm. in history. So it's a big, big news for startup world, big news for B2B SaaS, and also big news for Adobe. So those are the few things we're going to be touching base on today. Uh, Sam, I'll pass it over to you. And why don't um, you kick off whatever topic you want to kick off on? Let's uh, let's start macro and go with inflation first. Um, so, the expected CPI number uh, for August came in uh, earlier this week. Um, the expected number was eight percent, and the actual number came in at eight point three percent. I think uh, energy costs were down. So, CPI is basically a basket of goods that get all put together. Um, and then uh, measures kind of how inflation looks um, across a bunch of different goods and things that people spend money on in the United States. One of the biggest uh, contributors to that is energy. Um, so obviously I'm sure for those of you that have cars, you've noticed gas at the pump is a little bit cheaper, um, stuff like that. But other aspects of the CPI number being uh, like food and housing has gone up. Um, so uh, not good. Uh, July's number was slightly encouraging as it was lower than they expected it to be. But now, um, you know, that trend is kind of ticking back up again. So uh, well, it's not great. If you take a step back, um, you know, we were expecting, I think what happened is the market began to expect when the numbers were dropping in the summer, like, hey, you know, this is going to be easier to get rid of than we thought of. But there are all these voices still saying, guys, we've got lagging indicators with housing. I mean, that was said since like May. Mm -hmm. People were talking about housing, be a housing rent being a lagging indicator. And then we also had the fact that it's been summertime. Um, and I don't care what business or industry you're in, people in the summer are traveling, they're vacationing, they're spending a lot of money when they're out. We were seeing all these resorts posting record numbers uh, on, uh, you know, whether from and from customer spending at the resort or Disney World was reporting record spending. So we knew some of these things were going to come. And that's why I'm somewhat surprised by why the market sentiment has been so bad. But I think what ultimately it means is interest rates are going to continue to climb. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, 
that's definitely where I've seen a lot of people talking is obviously the CPI number is not great, but then they usually shift their attention quickly to what the Fed is going to do in response. Um, and I've, I, you know, on Twitter and uh, the financial news and all that, I've seen that some people are pricing in an entire percentage point of, uh, of an interest rate increase, not just 75 basis points. So Tyler, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, Jay Powell should do a whole percent? Do you think he should do 75 basis points? What are your thoughts? You know, I think uh, two things. There's been some concern of a full point the past couple hikes, but I don't think we saw the Fed posturing as aggressively as they have uh, the past the past month from the from Powell's speech at Jackson Hole um, to what even I saw that, you know, the clip kind of went viral from a Bloomberg podcast with the Minneapolis Fed chair. Um, and, you know, he said, like, hey, we're going to be aggressive on this. And this is the same guy that a year ago was talking about how uh, it was purely transitory inflation and now being very hawkish. Uh, on how they want to approach it. So I wouldn't be surprised by a 1% hike, but I also think um, the Fed does know that while they're going to continue to increase rates, they got to do it um, at a point where they're not going to just wipe off trillion dollars of market cap from the economy um, because right. those swings are just not sustainable. They've been they've been going back and forth and they're just not sustainable. So I'm still banking on a, a 75 basis point hike, but I don't know what your thoughts are, Sam. I, I think... The thing that is, so I think one thing that's encouraging is obviously the Fed is guided and said that they are going to be very strong when it comes to dealing with inflation. And they've stuck to that playbook. I don't really feel like there's a whole lot of reason to think that that will change. Um, again, I, I don't think we'll see a, an entire percentage um, point increase just because it it just seemed that that doesn't seem like a wise move. Obviously, Jay Powell sees a lot more data than we do and knows more than we do. But this is the fastest increase in rates that we've had. I, I want to say ever, but I'm just going to hedge my bet a little bit there and maybe in a long time. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the fastest rate increases that we've had ever. So that, is, you know, obviously to an economy that is like, it can be pretty detrimental, but it seems like at this point that they're willing to sacrifice the overall health of the economy for the next few quarters in order to kill inflation. That's That definitely seems to be true. I agree with you. And I think one of the concerns I have just on the outlook is it seems like we continually, we continually be you know, we're, we're beat by not understanding the full ramifications of what our decisions are going to lead to. Um, like all of the, all of the spending that the government did or the pandemic, you know, like, were we concerned that it might increase inflation? Yes, but we did it anyways. Even a small example, like how I mentioned earlier, where we thought, you know, we knew housing was going to be a lagging indicator, uh, but then, you know, it comes and housing costs are up and we're showing on the, in the CPI data and we're like, oh shit, you know, like we're going to be in trouble again. I think the same time, I'm a little bit concerned about some of these, like here again, we're talking about record moves or at least unprecedented moves. Um, and I think, you know, short term, the economy seems to be we've stomached all of these punches from the Fed. But I don't know if that's going to continue. If we see month after month of basis of, of interest rate increases, we're going to end up in 2023, I think, probably in a bad spot. And we've got another unprecedented situation for us to try to dig ourselves out of. So I definitely am a little bit concerned. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think the, I think it's going to be really tough for the economy to handle all of this for the next six to 12 months. I think after that, it's obviously like predicting anything is kind of challenging. Um, but it, it just seems like there is too much negative thing. Like there's just too much that's going on. That's negative. That seems like the the positives of like strong um strong job numbers and like positive like good consumer spending and all of that like that can only last so long before those kind of start to decrease as well so um it it definitely is not promising but you know it, it could be worse i guess i i mean like i'm trying to find a silver lining here but <laughs> It's kind of we're tough. still we're not necessarily seeing real wages increasing. Um, you know, I think that's been a plus in the in the labor force. We're not seeing a lot of labor force constraints yet. So I think there's I think there's there's still some things that aren't saying like we're in total trouble, like our economy is strong. The dollar has been like we all kind of thought when this kicked off that the dollar was going to be in trouble. And here we are with one of the strongest dollars. Uh, because of all the all the dilemmas that are going on in other countries. So in China, who we thought might come out of this on top of the game, you know, they're having a lot of issues. Russia's crippled themselves. Right. European unions crippled themselves. They're now going through an energy crisis. So I think one silver lining here is we're kind of united on a global front. Um, and while there are some people that are having harder times than others, um, you know, this isn't the type of example where we're putting ourselves behind the eight ball um, compared to the globe. And I think that's a positive. If there was a silver totally. lining. Totally. Yeah. Europe is, is going to have a very, uh, the energy crisis there is becoming pretty serious, obviously, and we're not even into like the cold winter months yet. And it's not looking great. But the good news is, like, I mean, I think Ukraine has been, you know, they've been pushing back Russia. They're taking over some, retaking some territory. And, you know, I think that's also what makes it challenging is it's not a good time to try to call for a peace deal or figure something out when, um, you know, they're, you know, they're actually doing better than they have in previous months. But we'll see what happens there. I think that's uh, it makes me glad I'm not spending a semester abroad uh, in Europe. Right. right, now. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, definitely. All right. Do we want to shift over to Figma? Let's move over to Figma um, and just right off the bat. Good or bad decision by Adobe? Let's start with that. OK, what's your take? My take is that it was a good decision and it was a necessary decision. Um, if you look at like a lot of people were talking about on, on Twitter and in the news, we're talking through all of the valuation metrics and um, you know, the multiple that they paid for ARR and all of that. And it's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like we get it. It's an expensive deal. Like it's, it's a, it's a huge acquisition. It's, I believe it's the largest private acquisition that we've had since um, Facebook bought WhatsApp for 19 billion. Um, and it's massive, obviously, but in my opinion, it's like, okay, you're paying $20 billion to survive essentially. Right. Um, so that's my initial take on it. What are your thoughts? You know, I see that I, I agree with it being a necessary decision. I know the market had some negative sentiment around it and Adobe's share price. I think they actually lost like 5 billion of, of total enterprise value or market cap on it. But um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good deal. Um, I think it's smart for both parties. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Figma had, um, you know, they had raised at a pretty insane, I mean, they raised in the peak of that series E round would value them at $10 billion. That was like peak 
you know, VC markets on a high. Um, and I think that, you know, an act, it was actually kind of perfectly timed to be an acquisition. They were able to build their ARR because I don't know if there was another round of funding for them that was going to be as aggressive, right. you know, doesn't necessarily saying take a down round because they had a tremendous amount of growth, but it comes at a great time for both companies. I think it helps Adobe um, basically not become a dinosaur given all their efforts. I think if, right. you know, if they waited another two years, this could have been a $40 billion deal or maybe something looking more like a merger. I mean, I think, um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of upside for both sides, but I think it was necessary from Adobe. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you paid, maybe arguably too much to live to fight another day. Right. Like, and it's not like they're being like, like Figma is a good business by itself. Like if you look at the numbers that were put, put up, like, you know, they've good grown business. their ARR like insanely over the last five years. Um, so they're buying like a good doubling business. each quarter. It's just like insane. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so they're, it, it was a necessary deal that like, like they were buying, you know, what has the potential to kill them. So I think from that perspective, it's like, you are almost willing to pay any price. Right. Well, yeah. The mistake was the mistake was Adobe never was able to figure out the subscription model. They were never really able to figure out the collaborative side of things. Um, I mean, I think that the Figma just caught the attention of um, a lot of the world. I mean, I remember um, back you know, let's call it early high school when only a few people could make a logo or make a brochure that looked nice. I mean, people right. were using PowerPoint and exporting stuff as PDFs and like, it was all terrible. And then today you go to any college campus um, and brochures or student clubs look nice. Um, the email, you I mean like email newsletters, it basically gave the skill and opportunity of easy design across the board to people. Um, and I think that was something that Adobe could never do. I mean, I had to take a class in my first year of college to learn Adobe like Illustrator and I still, I still couldn't do anything with it. And then, right. you know, my fiance is designing our living room right now, pulls up Figma and within like 30 minutes, she has like 10 different designs with real pictures and it took her like no time. So I think it's a good move, but I also think there's a lot of inherent risk with it as well. I mean, they're going to have to keep burning cash on it. I mean, I think there's a lot of inherent risk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to your point about the product itself, like I think one of the things that was really interesting about Figma is they they kind of built it as like a cloud first uh, product. Um, and so that obviously makes collaboration way, way easier. Um, and so obviously now where it's like most companies I feel like have either part of the team is fully remote or the team is hybrid, you know, it's rare that the entire team is in the office all the time at the same time. And so having products like this that are, make it like extremely easy to be able to interact with your coworkers on projects where you're not like having to send like version 53 of the logo back and forth between each other, I think is huge. And they, uh, I was listening to another podcast and they were kind of discussing the deal. Um, and they, didn't turn on, I believe it was enterprise, like their enterprise subscription model until like 2018 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It also so, took them five years to start making revenue. Right. Right. Which, you know, I, again, they talked about this on the all in podcast for those of you that listen to that, but like they were talking about just kind of like being a gritty entrepreneur and just sticking with it through 
like literally five years of not having any revenue or like even having a really an idea of what your product is, it like that, that takes a, a different kind of person to be able to handle that. So uh, it, it, it's been done and it can be done. Um, so it's encouraging to see that. And obviously like yeah. huge, huge W for the founders. Right. Well, and also like, you know, the, the, I don't know, I don't, remember, I don't recall the CEO's name, but he was a Teal founder. He dropped out of an right. Ivy league school, became one of the Teal like, um, programs for those of you who don't Teal know fellows yeah teal fellows has a program where peter teal will give you like a hundred thousand dollars um if you you know are are not in college uh, and you're working full-time on a startup some some very you know there's something like that i think there's been a couple hundred or a couple hundred i think teal fellows and and this guy was one of them and so i think um at a larger level you know it, it's it's another example of um, someone taking a non-traditional path, which I don't think everyone should, but I do think it's encouraging to see those systems um, working for entrepreneurs and can props to, to for Teal to, to do that and also give people opportunities to join and take part of it. So, Right. Did you see, so another interesting point on this, did you see any of the stuff on Twitter about um, what some of the VCs paid per share in the yeah, funding rounds? Did That was it's insane. insane. I think... Uh, I, I want to say Index Ventures was the first, um, their first, it might have been Series A, at least in the tweet that I saw. Um, they paid like nine cents a share, I think. Right. And it's, compa- it's getting bought at like what, $49 a share or something? Uh, or $40.20 a share. Yeah. $40.20. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just like ridiculous, right? I mean, right. Insane. Just absolutely ridiculous. What a premium. I think the late, the like most late stage investors and Dreesen Horowitz did their like maybe D something like that. They paid like, I think it was $14 and change yeah, per share. I'd love to find that. And then insane. there was another, there was another investor who paid $23 a share right before they went public. So yeah. it's like, even for those guys, they, they still killed it and they came in right. way later than everybody else. I think it shows, it shows, you know, it's another example of how powerful growth rounds are um, both for the companies and for the investors. Um, You know, I know there are a lot of big growth round shots that were taken, but um, I mean, they're, they're lucrative um, for, for all parties. So. Right. Right. No. And it's encouraging to see a little bit of life in the private market space that like a deal this size, uh, obviously it's not closed yet, but it has the potential of getting done. Um, I think that's good. It, it'll give a bit of life to uh, the ecosystem because it definitely seems like things are a little bit uh, dark at the moment, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Um, did you, uh, and I don't want to take us too far off the topic here, thinking about some changes going on in the great greater economy. Did you see what happened with Mr. Beast the past like two weeks? I did with his burger. Uh, yeah. His burger joint. He like broke up. the broke the record for the most burgers sold in a day or something crazy like that. Like they sold 10,000 burgers. Right. Um, right. I read, I read an interview with a guy who um, is like the business manager for Mr. Beast and like several other of these like YouTube sensations. Um, and just like talking about how, um, you know, they said like, you know, the future of product is going to be content. And right. you know, these content creators have this insane ability to market 
and develop products. I mean, like Beast now has like he was he was burning money on his YouTube videos. So he would put right. in like two million into a YouTube video, would make like one mil, one point five on it, got into merch, and then all of a sudden he's now selling. He had like the Ghost Kitchen burgers. He's got the real location now. He's got he's got chocolate bars. He's got cookies, and they're selling like crazy prime hydration with Logan Paul and KSI. Now has like three percent of the sport drink market which is like insane and like a year. So it's just, it goes to show you the power that that has. So I know we're kind of off topic here as we round out the day, but um, that was something this past couple of weeks that I think has been fascinating to watch. Well, and I think from like a little bit more of like a high level uh, philosophy perspective about this, it's so cool to see. I've seen tons of clips of Mr. Beast getting interviewed on podcasts and them asking like, how much money do you have? You know, like all that. And he's like, I'm basically broke. Like I yeah. reinvest literally everything back into my videos. Um, yeah. So it's really cool to see a guy like that who uh, takes his craft uh, so seriously that he literally is willing to put his money where his mouth is, not make tons of money and kind of defer a lot of the financial gain to the very end of the line where now he's probably making way more money than he would have if he would have tried to monetize his brand early on with all of his YouTube videos. Well, I think that's the thing that's so remarkable about it is it sounds an awful lot like a high growth startup, right? I mean, like there's a different model now in the creator space where you're not just taking the first, like you're not necessarily taking that first branding opportunity or um, trying to convert into merch really quickly. Like, no, they were like, we're going to burn, we're going to burn as much cash as we can to get as big of a following. It's, it's fascinating. Right. We're going to have to remember that playbook when uh capital games starts to blow up. Exactly. We won't make the mistakes of the all in pod and not monetize. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All, all right. right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, a little bit quicker of an episode this week. We'll be back at you next week. Fantastic. See you guys. See ya.